My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is very chilly, and I'm trying to warm up from my bike ride just now that I probably should have worn better gloves on. Yeah, um, well, that's the downhill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that sweater you're wearing, though, should help. This is... Yes, yes, it is. I'm showing all of our listeners that this is a uh, wonderfully rainbow chunky sweater that I recently inherited from my grandmother, yeah. um, probably purchased in 1973 or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so today is uh, actually it's November 11th. It's Veterans Day and, and the University of Florida is closed. And so I've done wonderful things like uh, I went to brunch with my wife this morning. Uh, we nice. sat outside. It's not cold here, of course. And uh, we sat outside. And, uh, and then I fixed her, um, the light in her uh, closet. It was one of those pull cord deals, you know, with the, mm -hmm. you know, the it just, the, the cord just broke, I mean, inside the lamp. So I had to actually Ooh. go to Ace Hardware, which I highly recommend. Your local Ace is much better than the big box <laughs> places and, uh, and get the stuff to fix. But uh, so that, that's been my day. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors, Ace Hardware. No, <laughs> they, they care so much about math podcasts, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. All right. Well, uh, today we are pleased to welcome uh, Cameron Williams. Cameron, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Cameron Williams. I'm a mathematician at Sam Houston State University, about an hour north of Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. It's good to be on. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet it's nice and warm there where you are it's uh, in the 70s today so yeah you might think that's warm being in salt lake <laughs> yes yeah i i went to grad school in houston so um okay yeah, nice. yeah. i i do november february march great months there oh yeah um, definitely mm -hmm. well yeah. like i have family in idaho and they've been complaining they got snow recently and i'm like Come on, it's not that yeah. hot. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did All you right. grow up in a warm place or? Uh... Uh, I spent some time in California growing up, but moved around a fair bit. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, well, so um, so what, what, what sort of math are you interested in, Cameron? Uh, I'm a logician, mostly specializing in set theory. Oh, okay, well, that's... Um... That's that. That's, I that's, guess that's a, you've had a few logicians on, I've seen. We we have, yeah, yeah we have. Yeah, actually, we just had your advisor on. Um, oh yeah, that's true. Joel a was couple on. months ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, 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 yeah. So the, I guess I guess so he took my favorite it. theorem and I had to come up with a new one. Oh, oh well, okay. Well, so that's the rude. perfect segue. So so what is it? What what is your <laughs> yeah? What do you theorem? want to talk about today? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess maybe I should hedge. It's hard for me to pick favorites. It's like your children. They're all my favorites. Sure, sure. But definitely among my favorites, one of them is Gödel's condensation lemma. Okay, so I don't know this one. I mean, everybody knows this famous incompleteness theorems, right? That, but Yeah, but... yeah. So this comes, I don't know, what, about 10 years after his incompleteness theorems. Okay. So maybe I should step back a bit and not talk about Gödel for a second and kind of set the stage for the okay, theorem. Okay, that'd be great. That would be fantastic. By itself, it's, you know, you kind of need to know why it's there to understand why anyone would love it. So set theory, like the study of well-foundedness, we kind of care about these like transfinite iterative constructions. So here's a good example. Let's generate all the sets. You can start with whatever your non-sets you have, numbers, whatever. And then you just look at sets of those, sets of sets of those, sets of sets of sets of those, and so on transfinitely. So you just okay. line, iterate the power set operator along like the ordinals transfinitely out to infinity. You get all the sets that way. Okay. okay. So it looks like we need all these sorts of like 
if we want to do this, all these really large, weird, infinite objects going on. But 1922, uh, 1922 Thorolf Skolem uh, made an interesting theorem, it's now known as Skolem's paradox, whether or not you think it's the paradox is on you. <laughs> and he noticed that you could just have a single, small, countable collection of things that had all the properties of what it looked like you needed all these really large sets for. So you just have this small little countable thing. It's got what it thinks are all the real numbers. You know, externally you can see it's countable, but internally it doesn't know that. It thinks there's uncountably many real numbers. You can do everything with that. Whoa, uh, sorry. Okay. So <laughs> you tell, like I have not done much with this kind of, so I'm just, yeah. you're blowing my okay. mind here. So like- Okay, a, this a, is good. Cause that, that's kind of how <laughs> it was when I first learned this. Like if you would have like brought me on as an undergrad, I would have said, Downward Lovenheim Skolem, that's my favorite theorem. Given <laughs> any structure, you can find a countable elementary subobjects, a countable thing that has all the same sort of intrinsic properties. Okay. Okay, so so the, so from the outside the reels look countable, but inside they do they don't? Yeah. Well, so what does it mean that the reels that are seems way too powerful? That really what, does. what does it mean yeah. that something's countable? It means there exists a bijection with the natural mm -hmm. numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't have all the objects, you just have a small piece, you might be missing that bijection. No, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So you might think it's uncountable, but it's just because your model is too small to see all the bijections. Okay. Okay. So Skolem, you know, he called it it's a paradox. Uh, he thought this you know, revealed all the set theory people drawing was nonsense. Like, come on, you can't even nail down what it means for something to be uncountable. <laughs> and I mean, the other people kind of had your reaction, you know, it's blowing my mind, it's kind of where I fell, but it was really not treated as anything more than like a curiosity. So maybe you thought it was a paradox, maybe you thought it was a curiosity, but no one really had any use for it beyond that. And then late 1930s, about 15 to 20 years after Skolem did this, Girdle was interested, you know, he was fresh off the incompleteness theorems. Everyone loves those. He wants to go on to something a bit more difficult. And so he's, you know, concerned about Hilbert's first problem. Can you prove Cantor's continuum hypothesis? Can you mm. prove that there's no cardinality intermediate between the natural numbers and the real numbers? Right. Right. Okay. Skolem says, you know, maybe it's hard to say what that means, but let's set that aside. Okay. So how is he going to do this is he wants to do something like this construction I mentioned, iterate the power set, but you want to have a bit more control. Because the problem is if you take like the power set of the natural numbers, that's gonna contain basically every countable object. Mm -hmm. And how do you get any sort of handle on what this is? So Gödel's idea was to restrict this to as small as possible to just like the intrinsic things. So rather than taking all the sets of natural numbers, you just want to take the ones that you can define just by quantifying over natural numbers. Mm, okay. So you'd have like the set of prime numbers because you can say what it means for something to be prime. You have like the set of even numbers, you can say that. But you wouldn't have a weird thing, for example, like these, you know, weird like countable models of set theory. You can't really define that just by quantifying over natural numbers. Okay. Or isomorphic copies of them, however you want to say it. Okay. Okay. So he iterates this process where you just take the definable sets. And then if you iterate that out transfinitely instead of the full power set operator, you get some other hierarchy, some other transfinite hierarchy of construction. And so this is called the L hierarchy. I looked this up because I didn't know. L stands for law. I'm not law. entirely sure why he chose that. Like, like rules, that kind yeah, of law? Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm not entirely sure what thought with it, but that's what it was. Okay. Okay. So 
just like with this like iterating the power set hierarchy, you can do like a sort of Skolum collapse there. You can do the same thing with Girdle's L hierarchy. So you can like build it up to a certain stage and then you can say, okay, I built it up to some uncountable stage. I'm gonna take just a countable piece that looks like this. It's got all the same elementary or to use a bit of jargon, first order properties. Okay. Okay, so Girdle's condensation lemma just says that if you do this Golem collapse process, take this elementary submodel, it's just going to be isomorphic to an initial segment of the construction. So maybe you built up to stage alpha, you take this countable piece, it's like building up to stage beta, some stage beta below alpha. Okay. Okay. And looking at your faces, it's not clear why this is interesting. Right. Well, yeah. I, I do have a, a question that I, sometimes it's really fun to be very naive and ask ridiculous questions. So like, okay, if we're trying to do this process for the real numbers, say, and like find this countable thing underneath mm -hmm. it, like, is there a canonical like way to say, okay, these are the real numbers that are in this countable piece of it? Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, I say, exactly. oh, is, is pi in here? Is, is one fourth in here? Could I ask you that? And you could say yes or no. I could say yes to both pi and one fourth. Other numbers okay. might be harder to say, but those are easy. <laughs> enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, but this is the point: is you have like a very firm control for what's going on. Kind of this is the opposite of this taking the power set construction, where what is the power set of the natural numbers? That's kind of the vague question that the continuum hypothesis is trying to get at. This is we're going to get at it very firmly. But this okay. is interesting because you know Skolem's paradox gives us this condensation lemma when you apply it in. Girdle's constructible universe. Mm -hmm. So this paradox becomes the theorem, and this theorem then is kind of the key lemma to prove the continuum hypothesis for L. Mm. So okay. you want to know, prove that you can't have too many reals. Well, any real you have, you'd use this to show it shows up at some countable stage. So okay. if every real shows up at a countable stage, there's Aleph one, many countable stages. Aleph one is the smallest uncountable cardinal. That means there's Aleph one many of reals, smallest uncountable cardinal, nothing in between. I feel like you're pulling one over. I don't us. think that's a proof of the continuum hypothesis because you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a proof of the continuum hypothesis in Girdle's uh, model he built. Okay. So this is how he showed then that it's you can't disprove it from the start. Okay. Right. That, right. There's okay. not a contradiction. Yeah. So it's consistently right. true because it's true here. Now this isn't necessarily true in the full universe of sets. You mm -hmm. might miss out a lot of things on Girdle's construction. And then later, Paul Cohen showed, okay, you can't prove it for the full universe of sets. Right. But yes, this is this one step. This thing that was a paradox became a key lemma in order to kind of do half of Hilbert's first problem. And I think it's kind of interesting. Something that first is introduced, maybe it's a paradox, maybe it's a cute little curiosity. And then Girdle, you know, 15, 20 years later or so realizes, oh, no, this is actually a version of this is a really important step in this proof. Hmm. Okay, this is and completely foreign so, to me. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a little confused on the timeline here. Had Girdle already done the incompleteness theorems, but then this is something else that he did this later. This is after, yeah, yes. Yeah. The okay. stuff with L, this is about 1940. Incompleteness right. theorems are about 1930. So it's about 10 right. years later. Right. Okay, but he kind of figured out that this, um, this work fits in with the incompleteness theorems. Yeah, well, I mean, then. it kind of like the incompleteness theorems is like one of the first forays into a larger program. 
-hmm. Like, okay, you know, you say established, you can't like write down like a computable list of axioms that decides all the things you want. Well, can you then find natural questions that you can't decide? Well, here's one that was a candidate, the continuum hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. okay, it's easy to say, okay, here's these weird like diagonalization tricks to get something. How do you show that a quote unquote natural statement is undecidable? That takes more work. It's a more difficult problem. Hmm. Okay. This yeah, and so we, I, I emailed you to be on the show because I saw a tweet you had done about how it was, maybe you felt it was a little unfair that Girdle is so known for these incompleteness theorems, whereas you feel like this work is actually more impressive and, and people should be more, I guess, should like it more than the incompleteness theorems. Uh, that was maybe a bit of a hot take, so my <laughs> okay. But I think it's it's uncontroversially mathematically more impressive. Like, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. proof of the incompleteness theorems is basically he'd noticed the same, a similar sort of, like, you know, weird thing people had kind of dismissed, and he realized this could be important. This, like, diagonalization trick, if you can somehow code, like, proofs and formulas into number theory, they can refer to themselves and you get this, you know, self-reference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, cute little curiosity and he takes this cute little curiosity and he turns it into a theorem. So he did the same thing here, but it was a much more difficult theorem, much harder to do. And not to poo-poo the incompleteness theorems, but like, I mean, if you take like a senior undergraduate level logic class, you'll prove the incompleteness theorems by the mm -hmm. end. They're not that difficult of results well but that's probably why they get more love right i mean yeah i mean that's know. that's a big part of it and so that's maybe where a bit of a hot take came from but. right right yeah this 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 is all very kafka-esque to me right so you know kafka has these he uses infinity a lot in his in his writing you know and this reminds me of so the the, the l standing for law made me think of kafka's story before the law which um, it's part of the trial. I'm not familiar with that one. It's it's part of the trial. So it's it's but it, it's often pulled out as a separate story. So the 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 deal is that the man goes to see the law, and there's a gatekeeper, mm -hmm. and and he can't get through because the guy won't let him through. But um, but he says even if you do, there's another door inside, and it's sort of like the, these infinite gatekeepers that you can never so you can never actually right. get the law. And 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 then the the man who came to see the law eventually just. He, he stays because he, he needs to get in there, but he can never get in. And he keeps asking That's the it. guard, and the guard says, "Meh, maybe tomorrow." And then finally, he just dies. I mean, you know, like it's it's very it, it is a very Kafka sort of story. Yeah. Um, but I, but in a way, the sort of these hierarchies are, are embedded in all of that. Um, okay. Yeah. So so I mean, I guess I guess I mean what the, what he should have done is he should have taken an elementary submodel and he would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. Like don't wait till the very end. Just Get it down to a smaller pace. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We're about to publish, you know, mathematicians rewrite Kafka. <laughs> mathematicians rewrite all 20th century literature. We solve any problems anyone ran into. And right. Just take care of it. Well, well, so, uh, so, yeah. so was this, you've loved this theorem for how long? Is this a love it for a site kind of thing? Or is it? Uh... Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. It took me a good amount of time to really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You kind of like see the statement in a textbook and it's, you know, it's this kind of abstract technical thing. And it's really, I mean, okay, if I'm being honest, uh, Kanemori, Aki Kanemori has some really nice papers that really kind of like 
goes through the history of this and reading those made me appreciate a lot more kind of seeing where it came from, some of the intellectual development, rather than just like, after the fact, here is it this lemma in the middle of some technical exposition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and often when you're seeing theorems in a textbook, it's like they don't have a flag next to the one that like you should really pay attention right. to or love. I remember when I first took um, like my, my first algebraic topology class, like there was this, this wasn't a theorem, it was a definition called the fundamental group. And it wasn't clear to me for a while that like this was a particularly important object. And then a couple of weeks later, I was like, man, two weeks later, we're still talking about this fundamental group. Mm -hmm. And sure, it has the name fundamental. So that sure. part's on me that I didn't really <laughs> notice that. But, but yeah, like sometimes when you're reading, you know, the, the first time you encounter this, you're just deluged with all this information and you making your own hierarchy of which things are, right. you know, how the information fits together and which things are like really central is difficult. Well, I mean, if it was easy, then they wouldn't pay us to do it, so. Right. That's true. So uh, the other thing we do on this podcast is we, uh, we, we ask our guests to pair their theorems, their theorems with something. So, so what pairs well with uh, Gödel's condensation lemma? Hmm. Uh, I would say probably a nice brie with some green apples and some honey. Okay. That does sound delightful. I mean, I don't think it has particularly anything to do with theorem, but I just think brie is nice. Oh, you just want to eat that yeah. at any time. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you. I mean, this yeah, is, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Maybe, while you're reading Kafka. Maybe, maybe, also. A, maybe a nice yeah. wine too. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that, that does sound just lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, so any... We always like to give our guests a chance to uh, to, to to plug something. Uh, any where where can we find you on the worldwide intertubes? Uh, my website is just my name, CameronJW.net. Okay. Uh, you can spell it because you'll be able to see it in the episode description, presumably. That, well, yes. we'll, we'll actually we'll link straight there. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. The yeah. thing I would like to plug is I'm on the job market. Please hire me. <laughs> I, I'm just be honest. That's what I would like to plug. Okay, great. Um, Excellent. Every, everyone and, needs work, yeah. Yeah, any hiring committees that ask us for references, we'll send in this episode. And yeah, just, just <laughs> I would like a tenure track job. Okay. How long great. have you been at How long have you been at Sam Houston? Uh, this is my first year here. Previously, oh, okay. I was at University of Hawaii for a okay. postdoc. Okay. Oh, cool. That's quite the switch. <laughs> um, a little bit, but, you know, they offered me a position there. I'm like, well, I'm not going to say no to a postdoc in Hawaii. No, no, no. And Sam Houston is in... Uh, if, if I don't like it, I just don't say if it's a postdoc. Yeah. Sure. And Sam Houston's in Huntsville, correct? Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. So, yeah. D different vibe than, uh, than A little than bit different, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slightly. Yeah. yeah. Do you live in Huntsville or in Houston? Uh, I live in town. It's okay. a bit too far to commute every day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, actually, a, a friend of mine who's one of your colleagues, I know, uh, lives in Houston because her spouse has a job in Houston, and so they, mm -hmm. they drive opposite directions uh, in the morning, but yeah, that sounds yeah. hard. Yeah, well, and Houston's so big, you could still live in Houston and have like a two-hour commute, right? I mean, Oh, yeah, right. It's yeah. it's an hour to Houston, but that's just the outskirts of Houston. Right. Depending on where you want to go, it might be two or more. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Great city, though. I miss living in Houston, even though people like to trash it for being such urban sprawl and uh, muggy and humid and full of mosquitoes and everything. I mean, but my I problem like is I did grad school in New York, so I see any other large city and I'm like, here are the ways this is not like New York. I don't like that. <laughs> well, New York's dense, right? It's sort of a... It's a yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I once knew a mathematician who... Uh, who, lit, who got a job in L.A. And, and he complained that it wasn't big enough for him. He, <laughs> he, he, he wanted to live in Tokyo or someplace like that. And uh, I just thought, well, okay, more, more power yeah. to you. Yeah, here I am in my little, you know, 100,000-person town in Florida. But uh, I mean, that's larger than where I am. So. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, this has been uh, this has been great fun, uh, Cameron. I, I, oh, yeah, thank you I, for having I, me. I, I, I learned something, I think. <laughs> yeah well, I, have to, I have to turn it over yeah. yeah yeah one thing I love about writing the transcripts for the episodes is I get to you know experience it again mm -hmm. and then I so I often make a lot of connections I'm like oh it would have been really smart of me to ask a question about this but in the moment I didn't think of it so right you know right I, everyone could listen to it again and get something else out of it right thanks All for right. joining us thanks for joining us. yeah thank you for having me Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M, that's at myfavoritetheorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.